Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. It's good to be with you here this morning. My name is Brandon. I'm part of the teaching team. I'm our connections pastor at the church as well. So I look forward to meeting you if I have not met you yet. Uh, yeah, come, come find me after service. I'd love you to introduce yourself to me, and we're glad you're here. I want to welcome, of course, all of you here in person today, all of you that are joining us online as well this morning. I was seven years old. My cousin was eight years old. And it was during an era where you were allowed to go to the playground without parents. It was called, I think they call it free-range parenting now. But it was a time that uh, we were able to go to this park in my cousin's trailer park complex and just be able to hang out and have a good time. But I feel bad for my cousin because he was with me. And even at seven years old, I was always an individual that was trying to push people's buttons. There's uh, a little uh, family joke goes around that, like, I like to poke the bear a lot. Well, I like to poke the bear then as well. And so there were a couple kids that were older than us. I would gauge them to be a little bit more middle school age at the time. And playing on the playground, I kept making faces at these kids, basically trying to say, like, come on, like, let's, let's get into this, and sticking my tongue out and doing all kinds of weird things just to instigate a fight that I wasn't going to be able to finish. And sure enough, those kids had enough of me. They started uh, asking me to come down from the slide that I was on, the playground apparatus that I was on, and just come down. And my cousin stepped in for me, like a good cousin would, and said, no, you're not going to pick on my little cousin. He didn't know that I was making faces and instigating at this time. And so sure enough, they surround my cousin. It wasn't just one individual, it wasn't two. It was about four of these middle school age kids that surround my cousin. And now I'm in this difficult spot of knowing that I've put my cousin in this spot. There's about to be a bloody fight potentially, and I have caused it. And so I would do what any normal instigating younger cousin would do at that moment, and I ran. I ran. I ran as fast as I could to go find my aunt and my uncle to make sure that they were going to help my cousin. The problem was that I ran through a yard on the way to get to their trailer that you weren't supposed to run through. We knew this. It was the yard with the dog. And all those lots were open at the time. There wasn't any kind of fenced-in lot. And I, I wasn't thinking we would take some backwards paths to get to the park. But I was just trying to get in all my haste to their trailer park and ask for help. I run through the yard. And this mean, vicious dog came and bit me on my leg. The only time I've ever been bitten by a dog. Now, it wasn't a Rottweiler. It wasn't a pit bull. It was a Cocker Spaniel. <laughs> but it was the biggest, most vicious Cocker Spaniel any of you have ever seen. This dog bit my leg. And so now I'm about, oh, I would say probably another 50 yards from my uncle and aunt's trailer. And so I'm walking to their house, or, or more like crawling, essentially, screaming at the top of my lungs, blood just dripping down my leg. And I'm walking like Jack Nicholson at the end of The Shining just to try to get there, right? And finally, I get to their trailer. I scream at the top of my lungs. They see blood on my leg. And I make it way more than it is in my seven-year-old language. I basically said, I just got bit by a dog. And AJ, he's at the park. And because of me, he's going to be murdered. And sure enough, my cousin wasn't murdered. They were able to make it in time, um, make sure that the fight. In fact, what I would, learn, what I would come to find out is that those, those, those middle schoolers, I call them bullies. I probably enacted them to be a bully. Um, they basically all ran the minute I started running for help. 
Now, people have asked me in the family, because we joke about that story. It's definitely funny to us because we lived it. It was the thing that we saw um, real time. But they asked me to this day, like, do you ever regret not staying back for AJ? And emphatically, I say no. I, I, I don't. And it's not because I'm a jerk. I mean, I regret a lot of things in that. I regret being the little instigator and trying to even cause that. I definitely, in my life, I know I can regret the idea that I ran through that yard. Of all things, I, my headspace should have been around not running through that yard that day. And in fact, to this day now, we don't have a dog in the Freda household. Makes me wonder if I have a little post-traumatic stress with that situation that I don't even know if I'm engaging with. But you know what? I don't regret anything because I knew that what mattered more than anything in that moment was to get AJ help. And I knew as a seven-year-old, the best I was going to be was a little cocker spaniel biting at the ankles of these middle schoolers to try to help him. I wasn't going to be able to provide any help. It wasn't going to provide what he needed. See, all of us have life principles. And those life principles are either stated or unstated. They're consciously stated. They're in our unconscious. But they define us. And although we might not give them language, necessarily, those principles, I believe that we give them power. And you'll know yours if you pay attention to those life principles. For example, I know a lot of people who have this reoccurring theme in their life. I wish, oh, I wish I could have done that. Others have a reoccurring theme. If I could choose differently, I would. And still others have another reoccurring theme. How, how come this or that never happens to me? See, in this Strengthening Your Core series, we've been asking the question, do you want to see God work powerfully in your life? It's a question we've been asking every single week. And then we followed it up with a question that says, if, if you answer, yes, I do, which I believe most of us, yes, yes, I want to see God work powerfully in my life. We follow up with the other question, well, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? And if you notice that your life principle or something maybe that you don't have words for, something that's in your subconscious, something you don't state, if you notice that you're constantly in a state of regret, it may mean that you need a seismic shift in guiding those life principles to something new. And this morning, I want to encourage you, if that's you, towards a life principle that I believe can change your life forever. And that life principle is refusing to stay behind. Refusing to stay behind. Seeing God work powerfully in our lives, this, this can be the greatest opportunity to move in the direction of what you've always hoped for. When you see God moving powerfully in your life, it can, it can form your dreams, your purpose, and your passion in a way that you couldn't even imagine. And we, as we've been challenged in this new year to seek the deeper of God, to seek him deeper in prayer, to consider fasting, and there will be a few more opportunities that come out of this week as well and then into future weeks. I want to encourage us to not be paralyzed in a moment with indecision, but to move. To know what you're about, to know what matters to you, and to always have a movement towards that, moving forward in that direction. But I think we have to have an honest assessment today as we've been introduced to some things that are just, hey, how bad do each of us want it? This honest assessment is that part of being excited to see the power of God move in our lives is also met with a part of us that is completely content with doing the absolute minimum. Or maybe doing nothing at all, just sitting on our couch to binge the newest thing on 
Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, or whatever service you're stealing right now from your relative or loved one, right? That's what I want to speak to today. That version of us. It's just quick to, to jump up on a Sunday morning, shout out, amen, preach, preacher. And then once we've encountered that moment and that experience, Monday comes around. And Monday doesn't quite feel like doing what it takes to see the true power that God has for us. It's something we believe 24 hours before, but not so much as we start the week. And we've all been here. We've all been there where we can procrastinate something. We can claim something to be a priority, but instead we do that minimum required. Do you want to see God work powerfully in your life? And these first couple weeks, the challenge of just digging deeper into prayer, this idea of fasting and what God can do through that to form our stories. Is that now? Is that for us now or is that more I'm going to... I'm going to get to that in 2023. There's so much of us that can settle for less than God's best because I think there's a part of us that, that, that doesn't believe we can actually obtain that even if we tried. Let's refuse to stay behind. One of my favorite stories that's found in Scripture is the account of the guys who carry their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now we're going to be in Luke this morning. It's in chapter 5 and it's starting in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. And Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. Now for those of us that aren't familiar with this story, these are some men that had come to find Jesus, who is in town, healing everybody and healing everything. Now, Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the lawyers of ancient Judah, they had come to try and trap Jesus. They were looking to find a window to prove that he was not who he said he was. Well, why would they do this, you ask? They, they were the religious ones, after all, during that time. Well, Jesus was trying to wake people up. And he was trying to wake them up to a new thing, to put them on alert because something new was taking place. And the religious leaders of the day saw that as a problem for those that were turning to Jesus. They saw his popularity growing, and that meant the Pharisees, who at one point had the support of the common people, were now losing that support. And so the system, the, the thing they knew, was beginning to fall apart. The Pharisees, they had come out from every village just to try to trap Jesus because their level of concern was so great. So they're trying to catch him in some heretical teaching. And it's the first mention of this group by Luke. What he's trying to show us here is that there's direct opposition to Jesus and his ministry. But that direct opposition didn't prevent Jesus from doing what he was called to do. The power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. We're talking broken legs, withered hands, leprosy, diabetes, heart conditions, you name it. Jesus is healing it. Jesus cares for the people and he cared for them enough to call them to something greater. To call them not only to healing but to repentance and to faith. And catch this, this is important. Because the power of the Lord was with Jesus, that required him to move. He was healing. He wasn't freezing once this opposition was in his way. He was to be about the business his father had called him to and he was moving. 
If you refuse to stay behind, your faith's going to be active. If you choose to refuse to stay behind, then your faith will be active. It's a faith that moves when God says move. It's a faith that when, when faced with adversity or faced with opposition, we keep moving. It doesn't retreat. It just keeps trucking. I've heard it said this before, that faith is less about feelings and faith is more about feet. There's movement to our faith. And all of us receive instructions from God in some form or fashion. And there's areas in our life where we lack faith to follow through on those instructions. See, we, you may always not be passionate about that next faith step to take because it's going to cost you something. We've been talking about that as well for the first many weeks. What's going to be the cost? But it doesn't mean that we get a pass. It means that we may not be excited to perform that duty that he has assigned, but it doesn't mean that we get to just put that off. Sure, we can pray. Oh, Lord, just increase that passion. But Jesus is looking for our faith. God's looking for our faith in that moment. I just want to give us some practical thoughts around that. Plenty of people, I think, start out passionate about a lot of things, right? About the process. And then you check in, them, in on them over maybe some months, and, and you're just checking in to see where that progress has gone. How many of you have kept your res New Year's resolutions so far? Just, again, consider it in your mind. How many of you have kept those? And if you have... Congratulations, because we've reached actually a season that show that 80% of New Year's resolutions are abandoned by the month of February, just a couple days from now, right? And why is that? Why is that a stat that actually is true and tried and something we hear about pretty much every new year? It's because we lack discipline. And so because of that lack of discipline, we stop altogether. Some of us don't even start. You know, I've been on this weight gain and weight loss journey for the last three or four years based on uh, when I got a heart attack three or four years ago. It's been a journey. It's been a roller coaster of a journey. And it's been because of my lack of discipline when it comes to food. Just this last week, we were meeting with a group of men. It was really cool to see a group of men gather together on Thursday nights. And right away, we're diving into the thought of physical health. And I found myself even, I was sort of just MC for the evening, and, and even near the end of that, I was like, Brandon, this is, this is so for you, and yet, was there something even some conscious where you were trying to give minimal time? The intro was a little bit longer, the physical health uh, stuff was a little shorter that evening. It's like, well, is that because it's in your world, it's in your kitchen, this is something you lack discipline on. See, instead of eating these convenient meals that I can, especially for lunch, I need to start understanding that Popeye's is not Jesus' chicken like Chick-fil-A, all right? I don't even know how healthy Chick-fil-A is for you, right? But the point is, is in being active, if I were to truly want to be disciplined in this, I would take action to meal plan. And in my good moments of the highs of that roller coaster, that's what I've actively done. Just being disciplined to say Popeye's can be a treat, but it doesn't maybe need to be two or three meals a week, Brandon, Right? And there's things in our life I think we can experience real progress when we're active towards that thing. See, some of us are eager to have this intimate and satisfying marriage. But we haven't been active in pursuing what that's going to take. Not only in just maybe praying with our spouse, maybe starting to engage in spiritual conversations, but maybe it even means professional help. Maybe it means the counseling we need to invite into our marriage. Some of us are hoping to have a successful business, and we haven't woke up to the fact that we can't even actively maintain our own budget. I wonder, 
wonder if we've ever asked, well, you know what the overpriced, overpriced coffee I pay for or the 17 Amazon orders that I'm waiting for, that's sort of delaying God's powerful promise of this business taking off. But we don't think that way. We don't build an active plan. See, we want a powerful word that's spoken into us, but many of us, where Monday comes and then we become too lazy to take that powerful word and move with it. We want God to bless us with more, but we've really settled for less. Not even, not even stewarding what he's actually given to us. The Bible says in James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And this, this scripture is warning us that if our faith isn't active, it's eventually going to become a dead faith. There's a great late evangelist, and he once said this, The wealthiest place on earth, the wealthiest place on earth, is the cemetery. It's full of the most creative ideas, innovative inventions, cures for diseases, and life-giving solutions that never came to fruition because they left this earth buried inside the people who weren't actively becoming who God called them to be. See, none of us knows when we're going to draw our last breath, when Jesus is going to return. That's why we need to be active now. Move now to look towards giving our best. And when I say refuse to stay behind and to have that active faith, I'm not talking about striving in our own strength to grind, to make it work, to make it happen on our accord. I mean wholeheartedly chasing after God and doing unto the Lord whatever God calls us to in obedience and the discipline. Because we understand and we trust that God's watching over us. Romans 4, 5 says, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. God is counting us righteous because of that faith in Jesus. No amount of hard work is going to cleanse us in a way that we could work hard enough to please that holy God. But it's a, it's a both and, not either or. Because faith without deeds is dead. That's both and, not either or. We are responsible to put our money where our mouth is. And more importantly, to put our action where our faith is. Continue through the story of our paralyzed friends here. Some men, they came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. We talked about that. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Now, this paralyzed man, he, he would have been seen as insignificant. Many of us that have done a little Bible reading or a little study understand that he's probably being overlooked. His kind were look, seen as forgotten. But his friends, his friends were determined to get him to Jesus. And I love how these men are actually displaying their active faith. Their active faith on behalf of their friend. Because this friend's brokenness, his, his broken body, it matters to God. And so the Bible doesn't say, the Bible is not saying if this paralyzed man had faith for his own healing. But in the midst of his circumstances, I would have to imagine that this man, he was pretty discouraged. And perhaps like many of us, he had doubts about life. He had doubts about his friends. Could they come through for him? Could Jesus come through for him and heal him? And that's the beauty of seeing faith and action meet because it wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that got him in front of Jesus. It was those friends that were acting on theirs. 
They were the only ones using their muscles, working as a team to carry him to the house. And we aren't even sure how far they had to carry this grown man. When you read the Bible, I I know when I engage with the Bible, it seems like distance was always distance, right? There's nothing short distance to anywhere. But this active faith, through it, they could have done what you and I do all the time. Make excuses. They could have made some excuses and said the dilemmas they were going to face, the things that would have thwarted that active faith. The house is packed. People are jammed into the rooms. They're blocking all the windows, all the doorways. And have you ever felt when you've exerted incredible energy towards an action in your faith, towards a step that you're making, that effort, that acting on your faith, carrying your friend all the way to Jesus, that it's not met with an obstacle? A lot of us would not attest to that because a lot of times it has been met with obstacles. It's been met with roadblocks. Where we can't seem to just get inside that house. Refusing to stay behind is going to require perseverance. Refusing to stay behind is going to require perseverance. As believers, we learn to persevere. Keep trying even life when life comes at us not like we had hoped. I was visiting with a good friend of mine just recently. They have infertility issues. They've continued to have infertility issues, continuing to pursue the adoption route, and even that has met its own roadblocks. But he was sharing with me how he and his wife encountered someone at a store, that someone needed formula, someone needed diapers. And they saw in my friend and his wife an individual that they felt like they could just come up and ask. It was a divine encounter, but it was a difficult encounter. Because not only did they get formula and diapers, they felt called to give them that much more. And as they're checking out with this what seemed to be a single mom just, again, uh, having a a real bad run of luck and a real bad run of of circumstances. My friend left the store, and he had been obedient, he had been faithful to step through, to persevere through the difficulty they're having and just taking a moment to be obedient with God. But he had questions through that. God, what about us? Why are you even putting these people in our path? Yet what he shares is that God's continued to reveal to him that through that faithfulness, he's understanding even more about the circumstances that to hold on, to persevere, to fight through because God is up to something. God and these encounters weren't taking place prior to this situation and now he's just persevering and he's moving forward. We have to start to focus on this idea that God is looking for us as believers to persevere. And, and it may be, yeah, well, I've tried to start the business. I've tried to forgive him or her, that, 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 to mend that relationship. I've tried church. But if you truly believe and want to see God work powerfully in your life, that one attempt, it won't be adequate. That's what my friend knows with his story and what it's meant with all these different trials and roadblocks that have come in his life. If we knew everything that we needed to know was on the other side of the door, we would stay pounding on that door, looking to break it down. I bet each of us would work so hard to pick or break the lock and destroy the whole door. And so here's the thing. Sometimes the strength, sometimes the strength we're going to gain by persevering, by working just to be by the door or having faith to stand by the door, that's the thing that we needed all along. We tend to think that challenges are here to sabotage our faith, but God is using them to fortify our faith. 
And God is developing that perseverance, which is increasing our stamina and our faith to be strong. James 1, 2, 3 says it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Without a commitment to persevere, without that commitment ingrained in us, we fail before we try. And thankfully, the paralyzed man's friends... They see the ground, uh, see the crowd. They see the full house. It's not like this dead end, but more like an opportunity. Maybe even more like, no, this is just a detour. Detour to get to where we need to be. They persevere. Finishing up the scripture for the day. Again, verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up the roof and lowered him on his map through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, there's no way... There's no way this paralyzed man gets to see Jesus and receive healing unless his friends have that active faith and a faith that is continuing to persevere. And they know what they have to do. We've got to find a ladder. We've got to climb up this house, belonging to a person that they didn't know, dig a hole in that roof, and just, hello, we're here. I dare any of us to try that in our neighborhoods right now, right? That's not going to end well. But we're not talking about just a little hole. This had to be big enough. It's fitting a grown, paralyzed man lying on a mat. And that action, that kind of action takes perseverance. And I'll add even to perseverance, it takes boldness. It takes sacrifice. All of those things were framed around something I think that's so key that we can't miss. These friends knew that they were signing up for so much more. They're not looking to put a skylight in this house And help, you know, just this guy with his aesthetic look in his home. They count the cost and they decide that one man's healing is worth that sacrifice. It's worth that faith in action. It's worth that perseverance. And so the last thought for today is refusing to stay behind and move forward in what God's asked us to. It's saying that the why is worth it. Refusing to stay behind says the why is worth it. And these men decided that the why was worth it. If you identify the right why in your life, the right why, I promise you, you you'll work towards that why for the rest of your life. It's way too easy to quit when we have the wrong why, or maybe not one at all. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's God in action. That's God's will being done. That's God persevering on our behalf. See, when the Apostle Paul is telling the church is, what, is, is that when we make this decision to follow Jesus Christ, we're accepting responsibility to realign those priorities 
And we're realigning those priorities with his why. We don't accept the responsibility without divine help. But we're going to continue to surrender and to allow God to replace our desires with his. The power to do what only he can do and please him. And God's number one why? It's people. It's people. Human are his true, humans are his true passion. He's gone out of his way to pursue relationship with us before the beginning of human history. It pleases him to see people healed. It pleases him to see people come to him. And what's amazing in this passage is the fact that when these men lowered their friend down to Jesus, most likely it wasn't just because of that physical healing. They had heard about Jesus and what he was uh, accomplishing. They had something else in mind for their friend. When he, Jesus, when Jesus sees these men, he says, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. He doesn't say, well, your sins are forgiven. Jesus knew, in, or excuse me, excuse me. He didn't say rise up and walk. Instead, he said, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Why? Because he knows there's a deeper meaning here that's going to take place. We're not looking for a physical healing. We're looking for a spiritual awakening and something that's going to change your life for the rest of your life because he cared about this man's entire life. But to the unbelieving Pharisees, lawyers, the people that were looking to, to, to catch him, they knew that the forgiveness of sin was considered blasphemy. They knew what Jesus was doing when he claimed your sins are forgiven. And the Greek translation of that, the meaning behind that was to send away or to go away from an individual, to depart. Jesus not only here is saying, I forgive you for the sins you've committed, but literally I am sending them away. They will depart from you. I'm separating your sins that you've committed from you. That's what Jesus was willing to do for this paralyzed man. It's what he's willing to do for each of us today. Jesus will send our sins away from us. God's number one why is people. Jesus' son's number one why is people. Because he's a healer, yes. But because he's a redeemer. Because he's a deliverer. And he's empowering us. He's empowering our efforts to live in that same light. To connect our, uh, his heart to ours. That we would have a heart for people. That why is worth it. And so as we step into this new year. And I, I believe we're being challenged to just take some bold steps. I believe more bold steps are coming. Our, our faith in action, our faith persevering and asking if that why is worth it, all of that's going to matter. Here's something really interesting about this story. You'll notice that the Bible never reveals the names of these men who live all of these things out that we've talked about this morning. The Bible refers to them as some men. These men don't have any fancy titles. We don't know their names. Luke doesn't specify their race or their socioeconomic status. In fact, I, I've actually kept referring to them as friends of this paralyzed man, but the Bible doesn't really say if these were his people or not. We don't know if these were celebrities in culture. We don't know if these were bums. We don't hear one more word about them after the event of this man's incredible day. And what's so interesting to me is I don't think they were concerned with that. I don't think they were concerned with getting their names in a local newspaper or seeing how many people tagged them. It seems to me that they were far more focused on helping this man experience transformation. A deep 
and meaningful transformation. And I wonder if they knew that that would be part of their future testimony. That that would be part of their story, that we would look to these men to see faith in action and faith dealing with perseverance and asking the question, this is why, is the why worth it? How bad do you want it? Isn't just a question for you. That how bad do you want it may be a question you're needing to answer because of others. How bad do you want life transformation for someone else in your life? Is that worth it? Will serving him now, will, will taking these next steps in our growth be worth the reward that awaits us? Maybe not in the moment. Maybe not for accolades that we're going to get now, but for the reward that awaits us in heaven. I wonder if for many of us, the lives that we've chosen, these lives of, of, of maybe requiring little from God is just because in many ways they're requiring little from ourselves. And I know this about us. We don't want to live watching. We don't want to just live watching God work from a distance. We don't want to live watching God play out stories in the life of others that are so transformative, so moving, and so the power of God that all we are is witnesses taking that in. We want to be part of those stories. That's what we all desire because we want our life to count. So today, as we're in this holding right, do I want to take the steps? Do I want to take these leaps of faith? Let's refuse. Let's refuse to stay behind. Let's refuse to believe that God is less today than he was yesterday. Let's believe that God has so much more. And that whatever lies before us, whatever's to come in front of us, whatever it's going to cost us, whatever life is going to demand out of us, we're not going to stay behind. We're going to move. We're going to move forward in what God has called each of us to. Would you pray with me? God, that's what we're, we're asking this morning. We're asking for you, Lord, to speak to each of our hearts. And, and Lord, that you would, you would help us form, is the why worth it? We all have different whys. We all have the different relationships and a lot of nuance that comes with each of our stories that we have to be able to ask. Is following you, growing deeper in relationship with you, is our why going to be worth it? And so, Lord, I know in each of our hearts and each of our minds, Lord, you're impressing something. And so help us to just get in conversation with you around that. And then, Lord, provide us the boldness and the courage to understand that you are moving that you are moving in and through us and that we can count on you, Lord, for all those results. But Lord, you ask us to move. You're asking us for action, to take those steps, to not revert to, oh, I wish I would have, or I regret not, and the stories that have been the stories of many of our lives. Help this to be a new year and a new charge in each of us, that you would just move towards, towards active faith, persevering faith, and that our why would align with yours, God. Not just people, but the circumstances, the experiences you, you, you put us around, Lord. That we could continue to point people to Jesus Christ. Lord, that's what we're praying in faith today. That's what we're trusting for you to do to show up today. And we pray these things in your great name. Amen. 
Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.